Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Dear Prudence show once again. And as always, I am Dear Prudence, also known as Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio this week is Juan Pablo Brammer. He is a writer from New York City who I started bothering on Twitter last year. And now we are friends. And now I make him come on my podcast because that's how the internet works. Hello. Hi, Mallory. How are you? I'm so good and so ready for this. I've been waiting to be on the show for so long. And finally, it's all coming true. It is. Your wildest dreams are coming true starting today. Things are only going to go right better here on this here. couch. Yeah, this is the beginning of your new life. Um, I'm also really excited to have you with me for my introduction. There's been a really interesting back and forth that I've been having this last week, both with um, my editors as well as like readers of the column over this letter I got last week that was really interesting and, and brought up a lot of different feelings. Um, this woman goes to a gym. Uh, and there was another woman at the gym. The The letter writer in question was white. The other woman in question was Hispanic. And she said, I thought she maybe looked familiar. She might have been an old acquaintance. Wasn't sure. So I asked her, like, are you Maria? And she said, no, I'm Veronica. We just all look alike. Um, and the letter writer was like really, really angry about this. She was like, I'm furious that she would make these assumptions about me. And I really want to tell her off. Like, can I go basically pick a fight with a stranger at my gym? And I advised her no. I said, I, I don't think you should do that. I think this woman actually, like, displayed fairly good humor and grace about it. Like, her joke was pretty mild. Um, and, and like, part of what was an interesting part of the conversation is I said, like, I think that was kind of low-key racist. Um, <laughs> and, like, it was okay for you to feel uncomfortable. And, like, I understand you don't want to feel this discomfort. You want to blame her for making assumptions when, in fact, like... She made no assumptions. Um, but that was my answer. And then there were a lot of responses that were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, how can this possibly be racist? We should only save the word racist for when, like, you blow up an entire planet. Oh, God. Um, that's wild. I don't understand. People mistake other people for others all the time. And so I kind of had to go into, like, describing, like, the cross-race effect, which is, like, a, a studied psychological phenomenon wherein um, people of one in-group often um, have a little more trouble distinguishing between individuals of another ethnic group. And when you, like, add that to the history of race in this country, you can often get, like, what I would continue to call low-key racism. But so, yeah, the sort of question was, like, is it a good idea to call that racism? Is it better to say racially insensitive? Like, do you do you run the risk of, like, having someone not listen to you if they hear the word racist? And I was kind of excited that you were on the show today because I felt like you and I were going to get to have a good chat about it. Yeah, you know, like, I haven't had a chance to discuss this with Maria, who might be my cousin or my aunt <laughs> or something. I don't know. We're all, like, related. You know what I mean? But... Based on what I'm hearing, I'm sort of like surprised, even if I shouldn't be, that you received blowback on your position on that. Yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's kind of this, I, I think it's a conversation that gets had a lot, right? Which is like, is it worse to be told you said or did something racist than it is to yeah, experience like, racism? As annoyed as this person is, imagine being Veronica and having random white people coming up to you and being like, hey, are you Maria? Like every week. And, and, and <laughs> you know I think what I mean? maybe that's some of the like disparity, right? Is like um, 
maybe like the letter writer does not realize that this might happen to this woman a lot and that the 15th time it happens, it maybe doesn't feel as easy to shrug off and say happens all the time. Clearly, there's nothing like behind it. Yeah, I'm reminded of um, America Ferreira. And um, I forget who she was on stage with at that award show where they were just sort of making fun of the fact that they all, people keep confusing them for each other. <laughs> you know, it's just like, this is a really common problem that Latino people face a lot. And I just, I, I just would love for people to stop getting so offended when we say, hey, what you just did is kind of like, like you said, low key racist. Right. I felt like I said low key, like we can all relax. Yeah, we're we're among friends. Let's just chill. Let's just talk about it. Let's just bring it to the fore. It's not like you're an awful, heinous person for doing this. You just it needs to be brought to your attention that this is something that other people might have to deal with more than you, and you should at least be a little sensitive to the fact. Yeah, I I think that's kind of it, right? I think like a lot of white people have this idea that racist is a category of person. Um, and it's not something yeah. that can describe an action or a sentiment. So the goal for us becomes, I must not be identified as a racist. So if anyone says that something I did or said was racist, especially if it felt unintentional on my part, they must be wrong. Which puts you in this position of, if you desire not to be racist, um, refusing to admit that you are ever capable of saying or doing something racist, which means that if any like, person of color ever says, like, hey, what you just did or said was kind of racist and I'd like you to not do it again and to apologize, now you're all of a sudden, like, having to prove them wrong, which puts you in a position of, like, never being able to experience criticism. Right. Because all our actions are happening in the context of what's still pretty much a racist society. And that doesn't mean that we're bad people. And it doesn't mean that when we contribute to them unwittingly that we're like irredeemable. It's just the fact of the matter. What we do has weight and gravity to it. And it doesn't hurt to call attention to it and say, okay, I can do better. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, like, it's absolutely like deeply unpleasant. Like I have had times in my life where I have said or done something that like a friend said, hey, that was racist and you should apologize and not do it again. And like my instinctive response was just this really outsized, disproportionate sense of like shame and embarrassment and wanting to say that can't be true. Um, and I understand it's uncomfortable, but I think the only way to respond is to say, this makes me feel really uncomfortable. My discomfort should not dictate my future actions. Just because I don't like this doesn't mean that uh, they're not right. Right. And I kind of love this woman for responding with humor. I think that's, I think that's great. (laughs) I think that's the response I would have too. It seemed really charming. I thought like it was just this very, like I'm acknowledging what this is. um, And no, I'm not your old friend, Maria. Um, (laughs) Which also like, if you think someone might be your old friend open with like, you look familiar. Uh, have we met before? <laughs> not like, hey, are you Maria? Because like, if you right. are asking that question, they're probably not. Right. Like, I am exhausted of people like coming up to me and pulling me around saying, are you Omar or something? It's like, I'm over it. <laughs> I saw Cheetah Rivera perform a couple of years ago, which was amazing. She's still an incredible mm. dancer and I lost it. And she had this little great bit at the beginning where she was just like, look, when I die, some of my obituaries are going to say Rita Moreno has just passed. Um, <laughs> I don't love that. She's a great lady. This has been happening since like 1962. It is what it is. And yeah, like that's like charming, deflective humor. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. No, that's thank you. That was that was that was helpful to kind of talk. Yeah, I'm just sad that people gave you that response. That doesn't even seem like that intense of a of a thing. Oh, I I mean, it was believe me, I'm I'm perfectly well. I I get it. I think a lot of times (laughs) like I'm not hurt by it a lot of times like. 
when white people are confronted with like the specter of white guilt, which can be really overwhelming. Like we Mm -hmm. get really uncomfortable and we want to make it go away. And we'll either try to make it go away by saying like, I'm one of the good white people. Don't worry. Let me fix it. Let me really go out of my way to make sure everyone feels great or Mm. push it away as hard as we can. And not just push it away, but also like deny that it exists or could exist. It's like a reflexive threatened response when we're actually not being threatened, which is really interesting. I think when someone behaves as if they have been threatened, when in fact they are perfectly safe. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's a it's a wild ride. It is a wild ride. <laughs> um, and uh, on that note, I think we're uh, ready to sort of jump in and tell everyone how to live their lives. Do you feel ready? Oh, I'm so, I, I'm so ready for this. Are you wrapped in like a beautiful caftan and and full of wisdom? I have my beautiful throw on. Perfect. I am nestled on my couch. I am prepared to tell other people how to live from my dumpster palace. Awesome. Let's do this. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll read us the first letter. Uh, the subject of this one is just bring home the boyfriend. So I've never subjected any of my partners to my family for a number of reasons, but this one is a special and a long-haul kind of guy. What I don't know is how to give him advice in dealing with my sister. She has a long-term disability and has difficulty socializing. She's extremely judgmental and dismissive and will insult everyone she gets a chance to. I alternate between feeling bad for her and disliking her because she's so mean to me and my mother, who she lives with. How do I buffer him? I've warned him, but my sister is also jealous of everything I've ever done, and I feel like this is just one more thing for her to resent me about. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot here. There's a lot to unpack here. So I'm wondering sort of what is the disability that might lead to very pointed vitriolic things that are said out of resentment? Great question. I think I... I, I think I too might suffer, <laughs> but also like, I, I just feel really bad for every party involved in this situation because mm-hmm. I, you know, like I, I am a person who does have, um, suffers from mental illnesses, some, and that can be categorized as a disability. And it does at times manifest as irritability. It does manifest sometimes as lashing out. And it's not like I want to be evil when that happens. Mm-hmm. Like it's, that's not what's going on in my brain. Right. But it does at times just sort of come out based on how I'm feeling about myself, about how my own pain is sitting. But I also know that that's not an excuse at the end of the day. Do you know what I mean? Well, I I think that's part of the tricky nature of like, how do you deal with people, especially family members, where like on the one hand, um, like if somebody is dealing with like a mental illness or some kind of disability, um, like that is reality. Um, it would not be appropriate to treat that person as if every like choice they were making was like done in a vacuum. Like you, you do have to take that account into account. And you also like, you have to respond to how people treat you. Like both of those things need to be true at the same time. So right. it can be hard if you feel like because she has a disability, I maybe am never allowed to or feel as if I'm never allowed to uh, say anything when she treats me badly or on the other hand, conflating her disability, whatever that may be, with some of her behavior and saying this must all stem from her disability and can't have anything to do with just her personality or her choices. And I think both of those are totally. like poles to be avoided. Yeah, because, you know, like differently abled people don't have to always be assholes, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like everyone else, not some, you can be anything. Exactly. You can be anything and still be an asshole. So I'm just wondering how much of this is really stemming from this disability. I mean, we're, we're not told what the disability is, so I'm hesitant to sort of definitively say one way or the other. But I think that you do have to dig into that a little bit and say, okay, is she saying these super mean things and these really judgmental, dismissive things 
because of her disability or is there maybe more to it than that? Yeah, yeah, like maybe maybe this is not connected. Maybe she's just also a jerk and you feel like you can't yeah. say like, "Hey, please don't talk to me that way and if you do it again, like I'm going to go." Like I think regardless of like like obviously you and I are not going to figure out like where do all these behaviors stem from. There might not be a real clear line of where all these behaviors exactly. stem from. But to say like, what am I willing to accommodate and what would I need to leave the room over, right? Like, if if I bring right. my boyfriend over and she spends an hour and a half enumerating everything she doesn't like about his face, like, at some point you get to say, okay, we're going to go, right? You know? Exactly. Like, I, I too, <laughs> I am a bitter, judgmental, vitriolic person, but that feels very separate from my manic depressive. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I love you like, so much. I, I, don't, I think those things sometimes overlap and form each other a little bit. Yeah. But... At the same time, I can also recognize that my actions aren't being totally motivated by my illness. Sometimes I'm just being a jerk and I'm indulging things that I shouldn't indulge. Yeah. And and hopefully I think the letter writer has like a better sense of uh, her sister's sort of um, makeup and, and the way that she interacts with people and will be a good judge of like what is something that like perhaps would not be super appropriate to hold her accountable for and what would be something that would be okay to say like, Please don't talk to him like that. And again, like like once right. you once you kind of think about that in advance, think through like what's going to be a low stakes way to introduce them to each other. Mm. Maybe have it, 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 you know, if if she can meet you guys elsewhere, like maybe in a public space at a park, in a coffee shop, somewhere outdoors where like there's not this sense of it is just the three of us in this small room. Um, right. You have to get a little strategic and you have to plan around what you know. And she probably knows the terrain a lot better than we do. Because mm-hmm. um, like I said, what makes me really hesitant is just not knowing what this disability is. Right. And saying something that could, for example, from a place of ableism, say, oh, why doesn't she just do this? Right. When I don't know what she is or isn't capable of. But I also think like, you know, kudos to this guy, too, for wanting to be a part of her life in this way. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think that's special and that's awesome. Yeah, a lot of people just have really difficult family dynamics. And I always think think it's fantastic when someone's partner is like, yeah, I'm here for you. Like, I'm here to, you know, meet them and, and like see how we can interact. So, yeah, I mean, go in, you know, make it low stakes when you first introduce them to each other and just like really prepare him beforehand. If you both go in and you have like reasonable expectations of like, this might not be the world's friendliest coffee, right? Like afterwards, we might want to go do something more fun, like give each other blowjobs right. or whatever. Um, exactly. But like, just go in, meet one another, have a conversation. Um, if it's just totally brutal, if she's just being a total jerk, like think in advance, like what would be the line that I would want to say, like, OK, we're going to go. Um, and if she crosses that mm-hmm. to just go and not like you're such a monster that we are depriving you of our presence. But just like, you know, I don't you know, right. you can't there talk to him to that way. So we're going to go. plan in place. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and then just like see how that goes, and if that goes well, like you know, he doesn't have to become her best friend. Like you guys might not spend every weekend together, um, but you know, you can at least try to, and like hopefully, like you know, go in and like ask her questions, right? Like don't just go thinking the point of this interaction is for her to like my boyfriend, but it's for them to meet, right? It should be reciprocal. So he should also be like prepared to talk with her about things that she's interested in. Like maybe she's super into like the work of Walter M. Miller and you guys can talk about that or whatever. You're submitting a genuine good-hearted effort in good faith to make it work with this person's family and that's all you can do, really. If they reject that, if this disability thing and the actions she's manifesting because of it get in the way, you did your part. <laughs> yep. You did what you could. Yeah. Yeah. So if your goal is like, 
I have to make a relationship between them like smooth and positive because I want to keep him in my life long term. Then I think that's going to be really hard because it's going to be setting right. your sister up like with the expectation of like if she deviates from this, she fails. Um, so just like bear in mind that your relationship with siblings is usually a long one. It is a long game. Um, and sometimes you mm-hmm. go through rock ear patches and others um, that it should be reciprocal. It shouldn't be all about just like her being nice to him, but also like you know, doing your level best to to make her feel like you also want to be there for her. Um, And to to try to let go of, like, the the jealousy thing. Like, it may be that your sister's really jealous of you. It may be there's other feelings there that you interpret as jealousy. You know, I would always caution you against, like, assuming you know exactly how someone else feels about you. Like, you can be hostile without being jealous. Uh, Make the goals things that you can reasonably obtain things that can actually happen. Because like we were saying, it may not work. The relationship may not flourish. They may not be best friends. But if your goal is more like, I'm going to do my best in this situation, I'm going to just at least try to introduce them to each other. And, you know, just have a really in good faith, hey, you two meet each other. You're both in my life. That's something you can control. You can't control how she's going to react. And you can't control what that dynamic is going to look like over time. Yep. That's I think that's so true. Now that we've warmed up, mm-hmm. do you want to um, do you want to bump up a level in terms of intensity? I'm so ready. All right, take us away. Okay, the subject is holiday prisoner. My husband is from a country that is hostile to Westerners and difficult to navigate without a local guide. My husband and his family always guard me zealously when I am there, and though they are always loving and kind, I feel trapped and have grown to really dread every visit. We have lived as expats in several other countries and traveled extensively. It is only in his home country that my husband insists that I must not go anywhere by myself. At first, I put up with it, thinking that after a while he would see that I could manage myself after repeated visits, but nothing has changed over the years. We are about to go there again in a few days, and I am so depressed. Every single day I spend there, I will be trapped, unable to make any decision for myself or my children, forbidden to even cross the street without a detail of my in-laws. When I meet other Western spouses with partners from this part of the world, they tell me that they experience the same thing and that eventually they just refuse to go. I don't want to do that. I truly love my husband and his extended family, and he has in turn spent time with my parents and my family over the years and put up with their own awkward and uncomfortable expectations of him. I appreciate that, but honestly, I feel that what I have to endure in his home city is past the point of reasonable tolerance, and I just can't take it anymore. This has led to many arguments with my husband before, during, and after every visit there, and neither of us can think of any way to do things differently. He insists that these precautions are genuinely necessary, and if I think otherwise, I am just being naive. I feel frantic and trapped even days before our flight. If you were in my situation, what would you do? Man, there is a lot here, uh, which is the theme of the day. I I do want to start by just pointing out a strategy that I see sometimes in letters that I just do not Mm. think works out in long-term relationships, which is at first I put up with it thinking that after a while he would see that I could manage by myself, but nothing has changed. Yeah, when does that happen? I think, yeah, (laughs) if you do something that you really don't want to do, hoping that you will be able to clear some unagreed upon bar that no one has communicated to the other person um, and that they will eventually give you what you want without your having to state it. You are setting yourself up for not getting what you want. Uh, In the immortal words of the skiing instructor from the Aspen episode of South Park, if you pizza when you were supposed (laughs) to French fry, you are not going to have a good time. Um, Exactly. Yeah, that's not a good strategy. Doesn't seem to work out for anybody. If you want something, you got to say it out loud. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Which it sounds like they're and kind of she, doing now, right? Because they're fighting before, during, and after every visit. So maybe, maybe yeah, it's all like out in the open min- now. Multiple battles are happening over this. <laughs> Mini skirmishes. Um, I'm just wondering in my head, I'm like trying to imagine what country this is. <laughs> I, I, I like that <laughs> both of your out. responses to the letter so far have just been like, I want more details. Like, I want to know exactly. <laughs> I want more. You have to sit down with me. Tell me more. Because in my head, like, this sounds really... I don't know, quasi-romantic. Like, if this was me, I would just sit in my little, like, room by myself and start writing really forlorn letters on a desk being like, oh, I'm trapped again. Yeah. Dear Prudence. I, I, I have a couple of, you know, I can kind of see this in several different ways, right? Like, because there's the line, the line that troubles me is, I'm unable to make any decisions for myself or my children, which sounds right. really intense. But um, nowhere else in the letter does it does it say anything that makes it sound like she's not able to make decisions um right like she says they're loving and kind um it it doesn't sound like when she's in the house they are attempting to micromanage her behavior although if that is the case that's really different like if it is the Mm -hmm. case that when you're in the house like you're not allowed to decide when you get to eat dinner or something uh or how to discipline your own children like that's a legitimate concern but if it's literally just like they know the city well and believe that like you traveling by yourself would be unsafe like that seems like a really different issue what jumps out to me is that she says that other Westerners are talking to her about this, and they're sort of being like, hey, listen, <laughs> mm-hmm. we're, we're in the same boat, okay? I also don't want to go outside. Right. It doesn't sound like his his family is unique in that, right? It's not like he's – I don't think that he or his family are exaggerating the, the possible dangers, because it sounds like – this is something that generally happens in these in like marriages where like one person is from like, you know, North America. Yeah. And like, I would really love to know, she says that she's a Westerner and that this is a non-Western country, but I would really love to know if like this person is, I don't know, a white person in a non-white country, because I, like there's this weird sort of boldness that takes over white people when they're in like non-white countries where they're like, I should be able to do whatever I want. I've I seen broke down palace. I know here. what you're talking about. Yeah. And it's just like, I should be able to just have free run of the place. And it's really hard to communicate to those people like, Hey, there are some things that you just shouldn't or cannot do here. And so I don't know if that's exactly what's happening, but that's something that came to my mind. Right. It's a possible dynamic. It's not a guaranteed one. But if right, that's at exactly. play, it's worth thinking about. Right. Because sometimes, you know, you just have to be like, okay, I'm in a place that's sort of different. I don't know how things work here. I don't know all the rules. I'm with these people who are telling me, mm-hmm. <laughs> don't do this, don't do that. They have my best inf- interest at heart. They seem to be, she says, loving and kind. Um so that's just something that popped in my head. I'm just like, I don't know. What do you What do you want out of this experience? Do you want to be able to just sort of go wherever, go outside, go to maybe like the markets or go to the shops by yourself? What's happening or what's not happening that you would like to be able to do? Right. Right. I think that's a really important question because, again, it, it sounds like in every other area of their life, when they travel to other countries, when they've lived abroad elsewhere, when they're in uh, whatever her home country is, I'm guessing either the United States or Canada, um, it sounds like their dynamic is a good one. It sounds like she feels total freedom mm-hmm. to to do as she likes. So I, I am leaning towards the interpretation that it does not sound like they are going out of their way to make things difficult for her, but that they are, in fact, like accurately interpreting reality when they say it is not safe for you to travel alone that right. is not something that like, you can do if i was do. going somewhere and my in-laws were just like forcing me to stay in the house and i look outside and i see other people doing like whatever i would i would be very concerned i would be like oh i am being kidnapped this is a problem 
but I, I keep coming back to this thing where she says she's spoken to other Westerners who said, oh, I just don't even go anymore <laughs> because that's what happened to us too. Right. Right. Yeah. So like, I don't think they're making it up. I don't think they're exaggerating anything. Like, right. I think whatever you decide to do next, you should acknowledge this is going to be how it is. In future visits, it's going to be the way that it's been previously. Your dream of performing well enough that in the future you get to travel to his home country and cross the street by yourself is not going to happen. So yeah, and just like do what I do. Learn to love being indoors all day, every day. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how long your trips are. <laughs> like, you know, th- there's a couple of compromises right before not going. But I do think you should consider not going a better alternative to what you're doing now, which is fighting the whole time. Right. Like, wouldn't separate vacations be better than a vacation where all you do is snipe at each other? I I feel that way. But right. If it's like that or be content with just like staying indoors. Personally, I think outdoors are like really overrated. I I would love to just sit around. I love it. In a house. Right. But I do want to acknowledge not everyone's the same. Some people can get really like. You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) So, again, like uh, in the absence of any like information that they like are mistreating you while you're there, it sounds like mostly just what's hard for you is accepting the reality that when you're in this country, you are not able to like access the outdoors in, in the way that you would like to, which I get. Um, different people have like different limits of that. I think I could really enjoy a week or two of that, but if it just drives you absolutely batty, you know, think through, it sounds like you love his family. Uh, it sounds like it's meaningful for him to get to go visit. Could you go like for a couple of days, depending on how far away it is? Like, could you go for four days and then go home? Um, and then he can stay longer that way. Like you're still there. You're putting in FaceTime, you're seeing everybody, you know, you have a couple days to get over jet lag and like actually be present, but not so long that you start climbing the walls. Like, I don't want you to right. end up like yellow wallpaper. What she's feeling is not great. Right. Like that feeling of, I can't do whatever I want. People aren't letting me breathe. People are following me everywhere I go. That's, that's not great. That's something that definitely does need to be addressed and brought up to your husband who I'm hoping is understanding, um, of your concerns, but yeah, at the end of the day, I, I think that what I'm getting from is this is not a unique situation mm-hmm. that other people are sort of having to cope in similar ways. Yep. Maybe she should talk to these other Westerners a little bit more and see how they've managed to cope or what they've done. Right. Sort of deal. Right. And to just figure out what are other alternatives? Because if this is the way that yeah. it's going to be, it would be better not to go than to fight this much about it. Like. Then that way you would just have the one fight, right? I'm not going. Let's fight as opposed to the many, many fights you have about everything you do while you're there. This one I find delightful. This one I'm very excited about. Uh, The subject line of this one is just parents getting back together in my son's bed. My husband's parents have been divorced since the late 70s. Betty moved to a different state, has been married and divorced twice. Joey married the other woman and is now in the middle of a divorce. Throughout the years, Betty and Joey have remained on good and occasionally flirty terms and talk on the phone regularly. This year, Joey is flying to town to spend Christmas with Betty and his son. They are then driving across the state to spend part of January with my husband, myself, and our two kids. If her plans fall through, Betty has said that she might just fly out and shack up with Joey for January. I'm kind of creeped out at the thought of them shacking up in my house in my seven-year-old's bed. If they want to have a fling, which we've suspected has happened before, I have no problem with this, but how do I tell my husband's parrots to keep it in their pants under my roof? Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Yes. Um. I don't want you to tell your parents to keep it in their pants under your roof. I want them to get it on in your seven-year-old's bed. <laughs> like, I'm, I ship Betty and Joey hard. 
I was about to say, like, I, I'm really in love with all these characters in this question. I, I think that this is has the makings of a really good Christmas movie, actually. This feels like that Meryl Streep slash Alec Baldwin movie that came out a couple of years ago with that really yes. great scene where they made Oh my god, yes. I, I also love that during uh, their grandfather's stay, they were like, well, obviously he'll sleep in like our seven-year-old's bed, which like, don't seven-year-olds have really small beds? Would one adult fit in it, much less two? No, I was totally imagining one of those like race car beds, you know what I'm talking about? Yes! (laughs) I don't know if that's what seven-year-olds sleep in, but that's what I was thinking. How can you deny two senior citizens the chance to do it in a race car bed? No, that's that's also how I feel. I'm glad that we're on the same page on this, because I was about to say, listen... (laughs) They've been through a lot. This relationship has been through a lot. They're coming back together. Right? You can you can just let this happen. Yeah. I <laughs> I got to say like you say that you don't have a problem with them having a fling. So I would just say extend the amount of not a problem you have with them having a fling to include your house. Um Absolutely. Yeah. Like cuz come on, Aval, if you really think that like part of this is going on cuz they're sort of gravitating back towards each other, even if you put them in separate bedrooms, people find ways to fuck. Do you know what I oh mean? Oh my god, that is so true. Like, they'll wait until you're out of the house going grocery shopping with your kid, and they'll, like, do it in your bed, and you'll never know about it. No, like, human ingenuity is never so strong as it is when two people are trying to find ways to fuck. I could not agree with you more strongly. Yeah, I mean, I understand, like, it can be a little weird when relatives are staying with you, and you have to acknowledge that sometimes relatives had sex, but they're not going to, like, psychically taint your son's bed He's not going to like... Right, that's what I was thinking. It's not going to leave spirits yeah. <laughs> on the bed that's going to haunt him or anything. Right, I, I mean, mean, like, if it were if it were something, like, where you were worried that they would, like, I don't know, have sex in his bedroom while you were all at home and he would, like, accidentally walk in on them, like, yeah, if you think they have bad judgment, sure, like, pull them aside and be like, hey, please be discreet. But if you are putting them up... I, I feel like if you are putting someone up in your home, like, the classic rules of hospitality have to include, like, you don't get to dictate if they have sex or not, right? Right. Like, they just, you can't. You can't be like, while you're under my roof, you're not allowed to have sex. Like, Also, if you pitch it that way, yeah, it sounds bad. Like, they're going to have sex on my seven-year-old son's bed. That sounds bad. Okay, I get it. But it's not really. It's just a bed. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, attaching it to the whole well-being of the child, I'm not super sold on that. No. No, it's, yeah. Like, he, your seven-year-old is alive because you and your husband had sex at one point. Um, Right, like, you totally had sex. Right, like, again, like, as long as it's not, like, while the kid's, like, awakened in that. You know what I mean? Like, the general, like, Queensbury rules apply, right? Like, if you're having sex as a guest in somebody else's house, it is incumbent upon you to be really discreet, to get rid of the evidence, to not stain the sheets, to not wake anybody up. Um, Like, you know, campfire rules. But don't. Yeah, no, don't try to, like, separate them or be like, because if you lay down that rule, then 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 they're going to have to fuck everywhere in your house. If you're like, if you're going to stay here, you guys can't do it to each other, then they're going to, like, yeah. all they're going to think about is doing it to each other's bodies. You are going to open Pandora's box. Yeah. If you don't just give them this room. Also, like, I'm just rooting for them so hard. The way this has been, like, sort of set up for me between Betty and Joey, I, I want it to work. I know. I want... I want anything that they need to happen Mm -hmm. so that it can work. Yeah. If anything, you should be trying to parent trap them. You should not be trying to parent trap them. That is bad advice. Um, But you should, I I don't think that you should set down any like rules about where they can or can't sleep. Like, I think 
they are in their 70s. You know, they're in their 70s. Like, I get that it's your house, but they are not teenagers. They are in their 70s. And um, again, if they are like doing it in the bathroom when you're trying to get in there to wash your hands, absolutely. You get to like lay down some rules and be like, hey, if you need to get a hotel room, get a hotel room. But like, please don't do that. Sure. Draw some lines somewhere. But I don't think you can tell them where to sleep. Totally. I mean, you can you can be like, I turned down the couch for you. You're welcome to sleep on the couch. But like if one of them sneaks <laughs> into the other one's room in the night, I don't think you should flip out. I don't think you should try to stop it. I don't think you should be like monitoring, like standing by the door being like, is one of them trying to go in there? Right. Is this old man I mean, going to get a blowjob? I'm furious. It's not just the son's bed, right? Because she says at the end, um, how do I get them to keep it in their pants under my roof? It's it's any sexual activity, it seems like, happening at all between them. Right. We've expanded the territory of, the of unacceptable sexual relations from just his bed to anywhere that my roof is over. Right. And I, I disagree. I disagree. Yeah. If it bugs you that much, um, you know, they can both sleep on the couch, but then the odds of you're walking into the living room in the middle of the night to get a glass of water and watching them going at it goes up. Um, you could always yeah. give them your bed. That would be very nice of you. I would know. And you know, turn turn some white noise on, like one of those waterfall rainmaker things at night, and you'll be fine. Everyone should have those. If you have house guests over ever, it is just like common courtesy to have a white noise machine. Oh my god! Not just yes. for sex sounds, but like sneezing and like moving in the. You know what I mean? Just like it's just such a courtesy to other human beings of like, hey, there's not going to be a deathly silence in the house when you make the sounds that a human body makes. Let's oh my god, I wish we had a product to plug because that would have been the perfect segue. Right. Like, which is why you should buy. It's embarrassing <laughs> to have a body. And it's especially embarrassing to have a body when you spend the night at somebody's house that you have, like, normally only interacted with, like, upright during the day. And all of a sudden you're like, well, now I'm horizontal and we're sharing a bathroom and that's weird. Yeah, same page. 100%. All right. Good luck, Betty and Joey. I hope you guys make it. All right. You want to read this next one? The subject is Liar, Liar. My younger sister goes to school out of state and my parents pay for tuition. She has to pay her own living expenses since she chooses not to live at home and go to a state school. She has constantly been short in funds the past year and I have been sympathetic. Her rent is twice what mine is and she has roommates. I have sent money every time she was short for gas or groceries. She fights with my parents over her major and I agree it is not a realistic one but she is in too deep to change. Well, a mutual friend told me about her blog, and I looked it up. I wanted to read her short stories that she always talks about, but won't let anyone in our family read. My sister doesn't write. She lies. Her blog is nothing but a pity party about her cruel, abusive family, parentheses, not true, her mental illnesses, parentheses, self-diagnosed from WebMD, and her shopping. She posts about her $300 pair of boots and calls me crying about not being able to make rent. I am so furious I can't see straight. I haven't told anyone yet. This will break my parents' hearts, but my sister seems happy to break us down to win sympathy points from strangers on the internet. Oh, boy. Wow. This is a lot. (laughs) This is is quite the tale. Can we start by acknowledging nothing good comes of, I wanted to read something I know someone else writes but doesn't want me to read. No, that is a quick path to either discoveries like this or really uncomfortable fan fiction. Yeah, right? Like, if it's a diary, if it's somebody's, like, fan fiction account, uh, if it is their blog and they have kind of gone out of their way to hide it from you, be aware when you open that door. Uh, You know. Uh, I'm wondering, like, how public this blog is. Like, is this something she's actively promoting 
to other people? Like, is she sort of like posting online, be like, "Hey, read my blog," or is this more of a private thing? I mean, it sounds like I. I there's so many layers here, right? Because there's this, there's this like uh, subtextual resentment in that sentence, like her short stories that she always talks about, but won't let anyone in our family read. That's like, right. how dare she? Um, and, you know, clearly you would only mention them if you wanted to tantalize me and hold out the prospect of knowing your inner thoughts. And I don't know, maybe she does. Maybe she makes a really big production of talking about her short stories and then like clutches them to her chest when you try to read them, which frankly mm. is fine. It's fine if someone wants to drop a lot of hints and then not follow through. Like I have no problem with that. Sometimes people want a little bit of attention. And then when they try, to, someone tries to give them more, they're like, nope, uh, it turns out I didn't want that much. And I think that's fine. Like, totally. I think you should respect that. Um, but yeah, there's very clearly like, uh, you really wanted to see what was going on and you got what you wanted. Um, yeah, you you laid eyes upon it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you totally, you know, Bluebeard's wife to this situation where he gave you the keys. Like, Don't <laughs> open this one room. And you definitely did. I'm not saying you were wrong really to do like, it, but like, now you get to deal with that. Yeah. I really like the sentence, her blog is nothing but a pity party because I'm just like, same. <laughs> I also just love, like, she doesn't write, she lies. Like, I think <laughs> this is definitely a family trait. Oh, my brand. Right? Yeah. Like, it's definitely a family trait to be intense and communicate emotions No, like, strongly. this person should also blog. Yeah, yeah. You should, you, you should start your own blog and just, like, <laughs> go to war. Um, so let's talk about these 300 pair of boots while she's not making rent. Do you, is, that, is that real? Or is that also a lie I mean, that's, that she bought these 300 pair of boots? That's the thing is like, I'm so reluctant to, unless you have like an incredibly clear paper trail of someone's spending habits, like, I, like, just like, what if she got them on sale? What if she exaggerated for her blog because she wanted to impress her friends with how many cool boots she has? Like, what if she's genuinely short on cash and like once she bought expensive shoes, but for the most part, like doesn't have a bad habit of spending? I'm just so reluctant to be like, mm. yes, you have like incontrovertible evidence that she is spending super wastefully. She may be. She may be. And that would be really frustrating. Um, but I just I just don't know. The things that... Yeah, and there's like, there's no comfortable way to be like, hey, dude, I saw your blog. You know what I mean? Like, that's just not a comfortable conversation to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just want you to know that, like, I very briefly had, I want to say, a live journal in high school uh where i very much like wrote something complaining about my sister and she definitely found it and we definitely had a fight about it it was like this live journal that like three of my friends read and i was just like my sister was a jerk today and um yeah no one likes i had a zanga where i sort of practiced similar things where i was saying things that i felt were true ish but i was also bending it to make it sound a little bit more intense and to make me seem a little more sympathetic yeah you're trying on a a long time ago but like this is what blogs do, man. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I would be reluctant to, to like, go after the, like, the, the bit about her mental illnesses that are self-diagnosed from WebMD. Like, I, I totally agree that, like, checking WebMD is not the same thing as a diagnosis. Um, I also don't think that I want you to get into a fight with her about whether or not she suffers from mental illness. Like, that's... Right. You know, and also something's probably going on there. Right. If you are like coming up with all these different diagnoses from WebMD, I mean that's not healthy behavior. <laughs> there could very well be something happening there. Right. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. Like this may be, 
um, like her concern about her mental illness may be real. Like there may be a reason that she right. has started talking about it just based on WebMD and like maybe later she will go to a doctor and receive a diagnosis. Like, right. like if I'm lying to strangers on the internet about mental illnesses that I may or may not have, I mean, that's indicative of something that's going on. Right. Yeah. It's, it's definitely like she's not like doing this, I think, for kicks and giggles. Like, I don't think she's doing it out right. of sheer malice. Like, which, again, doesn't mean, like, so it's fine and you should never talk to her about it and just accept it. Um, but, but like, do be aware of, of that dynamic. I think my inclination, and I want to know if you agree with me, my inclination is to focus on, like, how this affects you and your relationship with her rather than mm-hmm. tell your parents, especially because you are both, um, it sounds like you are both adults um because mm-hmm. you're both paying rent so you're at least both in college um and and i feel like that is an age where like you should start you should already be resolving your conflicts with your siblings without going to the intermediary of your parents right um especially since your parents are already paying for her tuition they're not paying for her living expenses um so like whether or not she's spending too much money on shoes shouldn't necessarily be a concern of theirs because that's not what you know like i'm assuming they're paying her tuition directly um yeah i I would say focus on your really like i would not advise you to tell your parents about this i agree with that i would not bring it to the parents attention what i'm getting from this is a lot of pain and damage between the sisters like their relationship yeah I think that they really need to have some sort of heart to heart on this because she at this point can't pretend that she didn't read it no and i don't think she should right no no, I absolutely don't think she should. But I also don't think that you should have this conversation as a confrontation. Like, hey, motherfucker, right. I saw your blog. Explain yourself. <laughs> right? Yeah, like, don't invite her to your home and then turn around in your swivel chair with, holding a laptop and being like, well, well, well. Especially because it sounds like we have here. you both are people who feel things deeply and have, like, a bit of a flair for the dramatic. And I'm not saying, like, you're mm-hmm. both bananas and silly and exaggerate i'm not saying that i'm just saying like it seems like you both like tend to feel things deeply and 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 really like speak dramatically and i feel that i I can be that way myself so i think what you should do knowing that about both of you is have a conversation with that dynamic in mind that does not heighten that right like and i think what's interesting and you brought it up is that i'm seeing a lot of common ground here and that the person who wrote this has a flair for writing like the emotional pressure points on this are so there for me this was like reading a beautiful short (laughs) story i know like i'm invested i really am so you both clearly enjoy writing um which sort of to me hints at a similar emotional dynamic the way emotions are processed and maybe keeping that in mind you can find a way to approach your sister and talk to her in a way that doesn't automatically put her into this cornered place. Right. Because I think, like, you will usually not go wrong if you stick to stating what you experienced and what you feel in a, in a fight or a right. conversation, right? So if you go to your sister and you say, hey, I need you to know, I saw your blog, and it really hurt my feelings. I've helped you mm-hmm. out financially because I understood that you were strapped for cash and I did not realize um, that it was at least in part because you're doing a lot of online shopping. Um, So that Mm -hmm. makes me feel taken advantage of. It also really hurts me that you've talked about having a cruel and abusive family when that hasn't been my experience. I don't believe I've abused you in any way. I I don't know why you would say that. And it really hurts me. Like those are really fair things for you to say. And if she gets super defensive, if she blows up, um, you know, then you can kind of say like, you can kind of say like, okay, I'm not going to lend you money anymore. And like, you you know, you can't talk to me like that. Like, that's a fair thing to do. It may be that she'll have some 
uh, justifications that provide further context. Maybe that doesn't make it amazing, but like helps you understand a little bit more. Maybe she'll apologize and you'll be able to talk about that. Um, but give her the opportunity to respond, I think. Yeah. And don't go into it with this mindset that all of this is just to win, quote unquote, sympathy points from strangers on the internet. I don't think that's exactly what's happening here. I could be wrong, mm-hmm. but I, I don't think that she's just sort of maliciously throwing her family under the bus for attention from random people on the internet. I think it's just, she probably doesn't even think that she is throwing her family under the bus. Right. Right. If you, I I would wager, if you get into a pattern of kind of wallowing and feeling misunderstood, um, it can feel real again. That doesn't make it cool. That doesn't make it appropriate. I'd be really upset if I saw something like this. Um, totally. But unless she gives you evidence to believe that she is like lying maliciously and with intent, um, you know, give her a chance to explain herself. And I also think stop yeah. sending her money. That's really okay. It is really okay for you to not send yeah. her money. I think that that is a super yeah. appropriate line to draw. And you can just say, I'm not going to send you money anymore. You're allowed to say that to anyone pretty much, unless it's like the IRS and they say you owe them. Um, yeah, because things are happening with this person's sister that even though the blog is written about the family and it's making these claims that might be untrue, it's more of a her thing <laughs> this is more coming from a place that a problem that she's dealing with i think and less of an attempt to throw her family under the bus or hurt them in my opinion right well and there's just a lot here like it sounds like this letter writer's taking on a lot of responsibility for her sister that maybe like it would do her well to let go of like yeah. you know it, you're not just sending her money there's also that little dig in the first line of like she has to pay her own living expenses and she chooses not to live at home and go to a state school like there's clearly like a big value judgment there right like i think my sister mm-hmm. made a dumb financial decision by going to a different school when she could have saved money by living at home and going to college and right. um like i actually really get that i understand uh not i mean i understand both of those perspectives but like I think you should just accept that that's your sister's choice. And if she makes that choice and as a result has to like work harder to budget and spend less money and like figure out how to make rent and get gas and groceries every month, like that is a consequence of the choice that she made and you should let her make it instead of both trying to cover Mm -hmm. her and resent her for that choice at the same time. Right. Like you're like, oh, but I still send her money. And I think she made a dumb financial choice. Don't send her money. Like let her deal with the fallout from the choice she made totally within your agency and your rights to stop sending this person money yeah and i think just in general when it comes to your sister if uh, again like i don't think you did anything like wrong by reading a public blog necessarily like the internet i know there's kind of like arguments back and forth about the degrees of private and public like i don't think it was like you broke into her diary i don't think it was like a total violation of trust like going through her phone Mm -hmm. um But, like, it's clear you did that out of a desire to know her without having to talk to her. And I don't think that that's, like, a good strategy for your future relationship. Like, I think it would have been better if you had said, hey, you talk about your short stories a lot, and I really want to read them. I want to know that side of you. Um, I want to see it. Can I? And if she says no, Mm -hmm. accept that and deal with the fact that you're not always going to get to see the sides of her that you want when you want to. Um, and if she says yes, then you get it. But I think it's it's an ineffective strategy to, like, hear about it from another person, say, what a great way to read her short stories without her knowing about it. Um, I can take this shortcut. Right. And these obviously may not be short stories. That's the other thing I was wondering Right. It doesn't about. sound like there were like... any short stories on that blog. <laughs> 
All right. Uh, this last one, uh, I feel like we're going to be able to handle beautifully. I, I usually have one mm-hmm. of these a week. Uh, how do I tell my husband I'm bisexual? I've finally realized I'm bisexual. I've felt this way since high school, but I've always brushed off my attraction to women. I've never actually been with a woman, but I've been with my husband for eight years. I love him, and just like I'm not interested in cheating on him with a man, I'm also not interested in cheating on him with a woman. But I'm afraid he will think that my attraction to women somehow lessens my attraction to him. Influencing this worry is the state of our sex life. I think we have a healthy one. We have sex once or twice a week. But I know his preference is to have sex daily. In the past, he has made comments like when I turn down his advances, it makes him feel like I'm not attracted to him. I've told him, and it still holds true, that I just don't have as high a sex drive as he does. I'm worried now that my added revelations will just make him feel worse. I'm already planning on going to a therapist in the new year, but I hate keeping this from him in the meantime. Help. Hmm. Yeah, these are two real separate conversations. Those are, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Oh. This, this thing with the husband, she's sort of afraid that revealing that she's bisexual is going to hurt his feelings because they don't have enough sex in his eyes. That's what I'm focusing on right now. Right. Well, because it sounds like it's still a sore spot for the both of them. It doesn't, it doesn't sound like, I mean, maybe the compromise they have right now is working okay, but there's this kind of unanswered question of like, he feels like you might not be attracted to him and you have yeah. tried. And it, it it also feels like she's aware of some of the stigmas surrounding bisexuality, that it's this hypersexual thing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, so you're only having sex with me every once in a while, but you're bisexual <laughs> is sort of what I'm getting from. Right. That. And, and like, it sounds like she's worried all she'll do is say the word bisexual and he'll have this like image in his head of like, oh my God, she mm-hmm. has this like secret like bisexual fantasy life that I don't even get to see. And like, she's Mm -hmm. the reason we're not having sex every day is because she's like having all these like flights of fancy about women. And I didn't know. Um, and, and like, that's a concern for her in this conversation. Um, right. Cause it's so often lumped into that world of like the kink (laughs) and the hypersexual that, and I, I think she seems aware of that, which sort of breaks my heart a little bit that she has to navigate that with her husband. Right. Right. Bisexuality is kinky, right? That means we're going to do all sorts of crazy stuff that we didn't do. (laughs) Exactly. Like, Oh, so you're freaky is what I'm like. I don't know. Yeah. It sounds like uh, she might not be freaky and that's wonderful and beautiful and all part of the rich, rich tapestry of life. Um, But Mm -hmm. so I think, you know, I, I, I understand the impulse. She says, like, I, I feel I hate keeping this from him in the meantime, because there's a sense of she's it sounds like she's like a little bit arriving late to the realization that she's bisexual. So there's a part of her that's mm-hmm. like, I really want to talk about this because I finally get it. And I like didn't realize it for a really long time. And so I really want to share this, especially with the person who's closest to me. But I would encourage you mm-hmm. to realize like you're not like keeping something from him like people come out on really different timetables um you have only just realized this yourself like this is not some big awful secret that you owe him uh like revelation on immediately and that the later you tell him like the more mad he'll be or the more upset he'll be like it is okay to figure this out for a while on your own before you talk about it with him Um, especially because it sounds like you have a lot of concerns about how to have the conversation i think talking it over with a therapist especially hopefully uh a therapist who is like uh 
up to date on their bisexuality research, I guess. Like a bi-friendly <laughs> right, therapist. I mean, get a bi-friendly therapist. Let's let's <laughs> get a bisexual therapist. No, you don't need to know about their life. Their personal life is none of your business. And you know, anyone who has to come out of the closet for whatever reason sort of has to grapple with this really uncomfortable narrative that, okay, so what I was living before was the lie and I'm ready to start living the truth. And it's it's just not delineated that right. way. You're not like a fraud or a scam because you haven't told this person or that person. Even if they're a super important person in your life, it's not like, okay, everything before this, I've just been deceiving you. Right. And there can be, I'm not sure that this is a dynamic, but, uh, you know, there can be a, a real sense of, like, if you are bisexual, but you have had only romantic interactions with, like, the opposite sex, this sense of... I don't know how to talk about this. This all feels theoretical. Um, and I'm not sure if I'm going to be understood um, when I try to talk about it. And I just like I just want to acknowledge like that that is that is distinct. It's really different talking about bisexuality when in part you are acknowledging like due to like, you know, uh, like the inherent biphobia of society or just like not catching on to it sooner. Um, mm-hmm. Like I don't have a like active bisexual history to point to and be like, look, I have evidence, which people often will demand. Um, right. And and so I just want to acknowledge like that that might possibly also be hard for you to think about because if there's that it, it demand for evidence and you don't have any, then the sort of like follow up to that is like, well, then obviously you're only bringing it up now because you do want to have sex with women. Um, otherwise, right. you would never want to talk about this. Right. And yeah, I'm just like thinking of all the missing context that I mean, People aren't getting this because it's not usually out there, right? Mm-hmm. Like the misconceptions people have about bisexual people, about any sexual minority, society's not doing a good enough job of educating these people or getting those resources out there. So I get it. And the people who have to come out have to navigate all these hurdles and all these misconceptions. Like, okay, yeah, how do I expect my husband to know that I can be bisexual without ever having actually done anything with a woman? Or without planning to do anything. Right, because it doesn't mean that I'm, like, polyamorous. doesn't mean that I'm into threesomes. Um, Like, and I think that that will be helpful to discuss with other therapists, that you can kind of anticipate, like, questions and, like, difficult conversations that might spring up out of that. I mean, I hope hope his response is great. I hope that he's, like, Mm -hmm. thank you for telling me about this. Uh, Like, we can talk about this as much as you want. I love you. I trust you. Uh, I'm excited for you to like have come to this realization and to know this because I love knowing you because you are my partner and I, that's what I want for you. Right. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think you should definitely think of this as a separate conversation from the conversation about like how satisfied you both are with your sex life. And I think that's one where like it's hard to get a little vulnerable and to ask questions, but I think is worth it because like um, it sounds like where you guys last left it is you have a compromise that kind of works, but kind of doesn't, right? Like, he feels unattractive. And that's not necessarily, like, you have to fix that by having sex with him every day, but, like, you guys do, you should talk about it. Yeah, ignoring that's not gonna, like, in either direction, having more sex with him isn't gonna work, and neither is ignoring it. A conversation definitely has to happen. Uh, How married that is to this whole coming out is where it gets tricky for me, because I think they have to sort of be parsed out. Yeah, I would keep those conversations really separate just because the yeah. potential for misunderstanding is is high. Exactly. And he may not even go to that place, you know, like, I don't know this person. Right. Yeah. He might surprise. He might pleasantly bisexual, surprise you, which would be fabulous. That would be amazing. Like, he may not say, oh, you're bisexual. And then immediately or later sort of partner it with this other problem he's having. Hopefully, this is a person who knows that these are separate issues and who won't 
combine the two into this ugly knot of a mess. Right. It, it, it could very well be the case that he's like, oh, okay, that's great. Or even if he does struggle with some aspects of it, it still may not be the case that he struggles in that regard. Right, right. But I think the way in which these two questions are both connected, right, is like, how do how do I share like my sexual identity and my sexual expression with my partner? Right. Because like right. the one of them is you want to share your bisexuality with him, not because it means you want to do new things or like add new people to your relationship, but because you want him to know you. And the reason mm-hmm. that you guys should have a conversation about the state of your sex life is because you love him and you want him to feel attractive. Like, your goal is for him to feel like you desire him. And so, Mm -hmm. um, like, you guys can talk about, like, what does that look like for him? And um, what are ways that you can address and acknowledge that that aren't just fix it by having sex every day, Um, but making Mm -hmm. it really clear that, like, you are attracted to him, that you are interested in him, that he is desirable to you. Um, and, and whatever like needs you might have right now that are not getting met, like that you go, but that you guys are approaching that in terms of like, my goal is for you to feel this for me. And I want to figure out how mm-hmm. we can get there. Not I'm doing a shitty job of this and we need to like yell at me. Um, but to be right. like, what we both want is to know and be known, to love and be loved, to like make one another feel good and to feel like we can talk about this stuff without like falling apart. Right. And I mean, I, I think that she's doing so far anyway, all the right things in dealing with these questions very seriously because wanting your partner to know who you are is so important for a healthy relationship. Not not just like doing it, but the desire is there. Right. Yeah. For her to say, okay, I want to share this with you. I want to share this part of me with you. I think that that's great. And I'm hoping that it works out for her. Mm -hmm. There's obviously like, you know, people can be really shitty when you come out and they can be shitty in ways that they don't even mean to be shitty Mm -hmm. and they don't even know they're being Mm -hmm. shitty because they have all these sort of things they have to grapple with, these preconceived notions. Um, That's definitely going to happen. I can't see any coming out happening without (laughs) at least some microaggressions. Right. You know what I mean? Well, especially because like she's been thinking about this since high school right on and off Mm -hmm. she's been brushing off her attraction to women since she was a teenager so you've got a head start on him Mm -hmm. in terms of thinking and talking about being bisexual um and again Mm -hmm. not to say like so give him like a ton of leeway to say whatever shit comes into his head but like be aware you guys are coming at it from two really different starting points absolutely yeah and good luck update us let us know how therapy goes take your time remember that like um, this is not like there is not a certain timetable where you have to disclose. Um, you should talk about it when you feel ready. Um, and you should think through like, what are your goals in that conversation? Um, and, and like, mm-hmm. please update us. Let us know how you're doing. Let us know how he's doing. Let us know how your relationship's going. Um, and congratulations. Welcome to the bisexual party. It's very fun. <laughs> yeah. I would love to know what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I hope, I hope we get an update. We'll see if we do. I'll bring you back on the show. Thank you. That'd be great. Oh, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you. I was happy to be here. I had so much fun. You were fabulous and glorious. And thank you for visiting us from your trash palace. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Those are the only words I've ever wanted to hear from you. Mally Ortberg. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Audrey Dilling. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. And Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of Panoply. If you like this show, please go to iTunes and write us a review. It really helps new people find the show. And we really appreciate it. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. 